Hello, my name is Kate Chesterman. I'm a salaried GP in South Norfolk, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to the GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. Finally, you can visit gpnotebook.com for podcast episode show notes and to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing lateral hip pain and we're going to start with a case study. I'd like you to consider the case of Julia. Julia is a 56-year-old lady and she comes to see you in the middle of a busy Monday morning surgery. She's concerned about worsening left hip pain. The pain is on the side of her hip and has been niggling her for a while. But she recently started a new job in customer services for a busy supermarket and is on her feet a lot of the time. Since starting this new job, her hip pain has got progressively worse. It hurts when walking or standing for prolonged periods and it also wakes her at night if she rolls onto her left side. Julia has a history of hypothyroidism, which is well controlled on her current dose of 125 micrograms of levothyroxine. She's overweight with a BMI of 32 and she doesn't smoke. You examine Julia and you notice that she has a good range of movement in the left hip but that she is tender when you press over her greater trochanter. So what do you think the most likely diagnosis is with Julia? Do you think she has osteoarthritis of her hip? Could this be referred pain from her lumbar spine, maybe with some nerve entrapment? Or could this be greater trochanteric pain syndrome? In the first part of this podcast, we're going to consider the possible diagnoses when a patient presents with lateral hip pain and how we might differentiate between them. Before moving on to think in more detail about about greater trochanteric pain syndrome, or GTPS, and its management. So, as I hinted in the initial question, the common differentials for lateral hip pain, in addition to GTPS, are osteoarthritis of the hip and referred pain from the lumbar spine. So how do we differentiate between the three? With greater trochanteric pain syndrome, the pain might radiate down the lateral aspect of the thigh, but it rarely goes below the knee. It is typically aggravated by weight-bearing, physical activity, and when lying on that side. There is usually a positive jump sign, where the patient experiences pain on palpation of the greater trochanter. And patients will often experience a reproduction of their pain within 30 seconds, if they stand on the affected leg. And this is known as a single leg stance and its presence is highly indicative of GTPS. In addition, patients often experience pain on resisted active abduction and resisted internal and external rotation. Other tests that can be useful are the Faber and Fader tests, where the patient flexes the hip 
either abducts or adducts and externally rotates. These tests increase the load on the gluteal tendons and will reproduce the patient's pain if they have greater trochanteric pain syndrome. In comparison with osteoarthritis of the hip, we would classically find morning stiffness and groin pain and a reduced range of movement, especially rotational movements. And with referred pain from the lumbar spine, a patient often experiences low back pain which radiates to the lateral hip and lower down the leg, sometimes below the knee, maybe with tenderness in the lower back and a limited straight leg raise. So there are three questions to ask that can help us diagnose greater trochanteric pain syndrome. Firstly, can the patient put their shoes and socks on? This is an activity that is generally easy for those with GTPS, but patients with osteoarthritis will struggle. Secondly, does direct palpation of the greater trochanter cause pain? And finally, does standing on the affected leg reproduce the pain within 30 seconds? Positive answers to these last two questions make the diagnosis of greater trochanteric pain syndrome much more likely. So Julia had presented with pain on weight bearing and on lying on the affected side and tenderness over her greater trochanter. You ask her to stand on the affected leg and this indeed reproduces her pain within a few seconds. So you make a diagnosis of greater trochanteric pain syndrome. Greater trochanteric pain syndrome used to be known as trochanteric bursitis, but this title has gone out of the window somewhat since studies have revealed that the trochanteric bursa play a much smaller role than was previously thought and inflammation is not always present. This syndrome is actually caused by inflammation or physical trauma in the tendons, fascia or bursa or in the gluteal or piriformis muscles and it occurs most commonly because of a tendinopathy of the gluteal tendons with or without an inflamed trochanteric bursa. Abnormal hip biomechanics are thought to predispose to the development of these tendinopathies. The iliotibial band, which runs round the lateral hip, can cause impingement of the gluteal tendons and bursa onto the greater trochanter as the hip adducts, so as the leg moves medially. These forces are increased if there's weakness of the hip abductor muscles and a lateral pelvic tilt, and this results in increased compression of those tendons. Over time, this can lead to inadequate tendon repair and predisposes to micro-tears and degeneration. It's a common condition. 10 to 20% of hip pain presentations to primary care are due to greater trochanteric pain syndrome. It's more common in females around the age of 40 to 60, but it can occur in younger people, especially in runners, footballers or dancers. We tend to see pain of gradual onset that may progressively worsen over time, but it can be triggered or exacerbated by sudden unaccustomed exercise, falls, prolonged weight bearing or sporting overuse. And one of the reasons to really highlight this condition is because delay and mismanagement can worsen prognosis due to progression and the development of recalcitrant symptoms. It is usually a clinical diagnosis, but you might want to consider imaging if the patient is not improving 
or if there's a mixed clinical picture. We know that unfortunately not all patients fit into the nice, neat clinical diagnosis boxes, and in addition, greater trochanteric pain syndrome can frequently occur with lumbar spine conditions, osteoarthritis of the knee, especially on the affected side, hip osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, or iliotibial band tenderness. So x-rays can be useful to rule out osteoarthritis and hip fractures, and ultrasound can be used to confirm the diagnosis with evidence of inflammation or tendon tears, maybe with fluid-filled and thickened trochanteric bursa. So, what will your management plan consist of with Julia? Will you prescribe some analgesia? Will you refer her to physiotherapy? Maybe you'll suggest a corticosteroid injection, or will you refer her to orthopaedics? Well, in the acute phase, we can suggest rest, ice, taping, and some simple analgesia such as paracetamol or non-steroidals if there are no contraindications. Runners should be advised to avoid uneven surfaces, and all patients should avoid excess hip adduction. So avoid sitting cross-legged or undertaking iliotibial band stretching exercises. Sleeping with pillows between the knees can help reduce hip adduction and weight loss is also beneficial and should be encouraged in those who are overweight. Targeted physical therapy can be extremely helpful to try to modify the load on the tendons and to optimise the biomechanics. So we're looking to increase gluteal strength and control, to strengthen the hip abductors and ensure good lumbosacral posture. And this will help to reverse the abnormal biomechanics and pelvic tilt that we discussed earlier. There are simple exercises that patients can undertake at home, such as bridging, sidestepping, squats and step-ups that focus on strengthening the glutes and hip abductors. There are some excellent patient information leaflets available that show these exercises in more detail, often with photos and videos. And I'll put a link to one of my favourites, which is from Mercy Care NHS Foundation Trust, in the show notes for this podcast. A referral to physiotherapy for tailored support can be extremely helpful for patients, particularly if they are struggling. So you advise Julia to take some simple analgesia and discuss appropriate exercises, and you send her off furnished with a patient information leaflet. She comes back a couple of weeks later and is quite tearful. The pain is no better, she's not sleeping well, and she's struggling to work. She was unable to do the exercises that you advised due to the pain. Julia really needs some relief from her symptoms, and she needs it soon, so you arrange for her to have a peritrochanteric corticosteroid injection and you refer her to physiotherapy. She comes back to see you a couple of weeks after her injection, delighted that her pain has resolved and that she's been able to resume all her normal activities. She feels that the injection has been much more helpful than the exercise suggestions and she doesn't now feel that she needs physiotherapy. It's a very pleasant consultation for you and you quickly move on to your next patient. Unfortunately, Julia returns seven months later with a recurrence of all her old symptoms. So what went wrong? And was the injection the right treatment? 
Well, certainly there is a place for corticosteroid injections in the management of greater trochanteric pain syndrome for some patients. And that place is to provide an analgesic window to allow patients to engage in effective rehabilitation programs. And it's really important to emphasize this to our patients. A steroid injection can feel like a cure because in most patients, it does provide a short-term improvement in pain. But unless the abnormal biomechanics are reversed during that analgesic window, the symptoms are likely to return. Interestingly, there was a small non-randomized study comparing a steroid injection with home exercise programs. And they found success rates at one month of 75% for an injection and only 7% for home exercise. But at 15 months, the success rates for corticosteroid injections had dropped to 48%, but were 80% for home exercise. So an injection wasn't the wrong management for Julia, but it should have been emphasised that she needed to continue with her exercises and physiotherapy input while she was pain-free, to strengthen her muscles and prevent the condition from recurring. So what other options are available if the simple measures described above do not lead to a resolution of symptoms? Well, these options really are our ceiling of treatment in primary care, but reassuringly, they will work for most patients. Greater trochanteric pain syndrome is usually a self-limiting condition and resolves in over 90% of patients with conservative treatments such as rest, analgesia, physiotherapy and corticosteroid injections. But we can consider a referral if the patient is not improving. NICE suggests that we should refer those under the age of 40 with persistent hip pain that is affecting their usual home, work or leisure activities if they have not responded to a three-month course of physiotherapy as well as all people with painful, irritable or stiff hips that are interfering with sleep or the person's usual activities if they have not responded to conservative measures. A referral may result in further imaging if this has not already been undertaken and orthopaedic interventions can include excision of an inflamed bursa, a trochanteric reduction osteotomy or repair of damaged tendons. Surgery is reserved for cases that have failed to improve with optimal conservative management. NICE also advise that we should be arranging an emergency admission for people with associated systemic symptoms that may be indicative of infection, malignancy or autoimmune disease, as well as those where there is a history of trauma. So thank you all for listening. We hope that you found this podcast helpful. Please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebook.com and we'd be very grateful if you would consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebook.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free shortcuts which are designed to help make your lives a little easier and ultimately help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. <laughs> <laughs>